Hello, everybody. I'm so happy you're here. And if by chance it's been a while since you've come to church or you're a little bit nervous, thank you for coming. Thank you for uh, pressing through. We hope this is the type of experience where you can begin to explore who God is. So I'm really excited about these upcoming Christmas services. So we've got seven of them, all right, seven. And uh, the team's been working so hard. And here's, here's our hope that people who maybe don't even know what Christmas is actually about get to experience the true message of Christmas. So last year, I mean, believe it or not, we had over 11,000 people come. And people are always like, well, why do we, why do we need to go online and reserve tickets? It's because if 11,000 people showed up at one service, we'd have some issues. People's true character would be challenged in the parking lot, right? Like, who you? So it's just, we want everybody to have a great seat and have a great experience. So that's why we do that. Think about inviting friends and family. And uh, I promise that we will uh, have a service that won't embarrass you. Okay, that's my guarantee to you. You will not be embarrassed. That's all I can say about it. The rest is secret. So over the last several weeks, we've been looking at one biblical author, one of the four men who record the life of Jesus. His name is Luke. Now, Luke is a very unique human being. Uh, he was a first century medical doctor and he served as a historian. So probably a very well-educated, brilliant man. And he's asked by a man named Theophilus. He's commissioned. He says, Theophilus, I need to have a firsthand account of who this Jesus is, what he was about. So Luke travels to Israel and he interviews people and he writes the book of Luke, which is the story of Jesus. And then he goes on to actually write the book of Acts as well. One of the unique things about the book of Luke is in the first two chapters, he recounts that there are four different instances when people engage and hear about the message of Christmas realize what God is doing on earth, that on four different occasions, there's, there are songs that break out. And so we looked at a man named Zachariah. He breaks into a song when he realizes that God is a God of second chances and it's not too late for him. It's not too late for his wife. There's a man named Simeon who has been waiting for decades, praying every day for this, this promised one that God had centuries before said he would send to heal. The Hebrews called him the Messiah. And when he sees the baby Jesus, he takes him in his arms and he breaks into his own song about the tremendous things that God is doing on planet earth. Now, at our Christmas services, we'll look at the song of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And right now I'd like us to look in Luke chapter two at the angel song, the angel song. It's a very brief song, but it happens right when Jesus is born. And can you imagine this? For centuries, God has promised that he would address this tremendous rift that existed between God and human beings. He promised to fix what was broken on planet earth. And the angels were in on this planning. And so through the line of Abraham, God has, through history, been preparing the world for this moment in the first century when Jesus would be born. And the angels know about this, and so they, they say, hey, God, can we be a part of this? And he says, absolutely. So some angel must have said, I'm going to write a song. All right. And he recruits a choir. Now, you know, I've never heard angels sing, but I imagine it's pretty good. Like, and if you had thousands of years to practice, you're probably pretty excited. It's a really short song. So this angel choir has been preparing, and they're going to sing a song, an announcement. So imagine if... Um, 
oh, we don't have a monarchy, but England has a monarchy. And when, when a, a new king is born, I mean, it's, it's everywhere, right? It'd be every paper, every tabloid. It'd be on the news. There'd be pictures of this baby. So imagine a king, but not like any other king, not a human king, but a king who can change the reality of human beings is going to be born. So I think maybe the angels are thinking, oh, this is going to be big. We're going to be like, where are we going to sing? Are we going to sing in Jerusalem at the temple? Are we going to, maybe we should go to Rome and we should sing for the emperor and all the rulers. And this is what God says. God says, no, I want you to sing for a group of shepherds. And they're like, really? In the first century, shepherds were considered... Um, they're considered, if, if you thought a social strata, which I, I, we don't want to think that way, but in the first century, that was a reality. Shepherds were at the very bottom, very bottom. In fact, uh, there's some parenting advice that was written in the second century. This is one of the ways to motivate your children to study hard in school is to tell them if they don't do well at their studies, they'll end up being a shepherd. So it was a threat. Like if, if you couldn't succeed at anything else, you'll end up being a shepherd. So here in our culture, we, we don't have a lot of sheep anymore. We have cattle, right? We're familiar with cattle. But shepherds, uh, they were everywhere, and you needed people to watch these sheep because sheep had been feeding and clothing human beings for, throughout human history. I, I haven't had a lot of experience with shepherds, but I did have one. one here's, I'm going to tell you my only experience with a shepherd. So I'm in Utah, and I'm on an archery elk hunt with a guy here in this church, a dear friend named David. And we are hunting this beautiful, I mean, it is mountainous, it is remote. Um, but there, there are these herds of sheep throughout this, this huge piece of property. And they have these Peruvian sheep herders, the three or four of them that they brought up from Peru. Because nobody else would want to do this and they knew sheep. But these guys lived in the most isolated environments you could imagine. They're far from town. They have a little camp. Sometimes they would camp uh, just like far from any roads. And it's a lonely existence. And they'd watch the sheep all through the summer months. And we are kind of back there, a few miles back there. And there's, this, there's an elk coming. We're, we're calling to it. It's calling back. And we set up. And, you know, I, my wife just thinks it's the most hilarious thing in the world to be an archery hunter. She's like... So you dress like a tree and you pour elk urine on yourself. I'm like, yeah, it's the best, right? So, I mean, you, you know, like all camoed out, frozen, this elk's coming. And then suddenly the elk start, stops calling and I hear this other sound. I can't place it. And I'm like, what in the world is that? And coming down this logging road is one of these Peruvian shepherds. And he is singing songs in Spanish and talking to himself. So it's like he's singing a song and then he'd, he'd respond to himself and then he'd keep singing the song. And I'm like, what in the world is this guy doing? He's oblivious. He's been by himself for I don't know how many months and he keeps walking, he's getting closer and closer. And when he's like six yards away, I don't know what to do because we're dressed as trees. He can't see us. He's just like, Lord, you know, singing in Spanish. And I go, hey, and I wave like that. He's just like, ah, and he, he just starts, he just runs down the logging road. Like, just, what was that? And he's so embarrassed. So my only experience with a shepherd means you talk to yourself, you sing to yourself, because you spend a lot of hours alone and in isolation. 
And in Luke chapter 2, a night that would have been like every other night, probably thousands of nights these shepherds had experienced, where one of them is on watch, the others are sleeping. It's not their sheep most likely. These were hired hands. And they're guarding the sheep, making sure none wander. You hear the sheep movements. You hear the insects. It's cold. And the night sky is shattered. It's shattered by the song of the angels. Let's read from Luke chapter 2 together. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Now, I, I don't have any context for this, but can you imagine the angel appears and, and then there's glory. Glory probably had something to do with light and it had to do with sensation. And it, like everything's just changed. Like there, there's something angelic happening and they were terrified. It's the reaction everybody has in the Bible when they see an angel, terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Here's why. I bring you good News, good news. This is, this is going to be a, a phrase, good news, that the early church will adopt. And they'll actually say, the word is gospel. You've probably heard that phrase. Gospel means good news. And they're going to say, everything that Jesus came to say and do was good news. So they say, have you heard the good news? The good news that God has come to planet Earth. The good news that there's a solution to human pain and sin. I bring you good news that will cause... Great joy for all the people, not just for a select group of people, not just for the most uh, studied, learned, achieved people, but for all people. Today in the town of David, a savior, here's this big word, not just a baby, not just a new king, but someone who saves. A savior has been born to you. It's personal for the shepherds. He is the Messiah, this promised one. Hebrews have been waiting for the Lord. This will be a sign to you. So how, how do you know when you're going to find the Messiah? I mean, you, you can imagine, it'd be like, well, so there, there's what, going to be a big crowd. There are going to be people with trumpets. There's, there's going to be, what, Herod the king is going to be there? How, what's the sign? Here's the sign. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger, a feed trough. The Savior's been born in the sign? It's not that he's wrapped in purple. Royalty used purple. It was so expensive and hard to produce. But he's just going to be wrapped in cloths, not even a legitimate blanket, and lying in a feed trough. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, and here's the song, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, well, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what, had, what they had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. The angel song, Luke chapter 2. There's three thoughts I'd like to bring out of this. A very familiar story. Sometimes stories that 
Even if we don't read the Bible a lot, we're familiar with this story, we, we can miss some of the significance. Here, here's three things that are simple, and yet I believe they're profound in what they communicate to us. The first is this. God wants to be found. God wants to be found. John Calvin says this. The angel's news was not just for one day or for a tiny handful of people. It was intended for all time to the very end of the world. And it was meant for all of us from the greatest to the least. So I bet nearly everyone in the room would say that there's been a time in their life Wherever you're at in your own spiritual journey, maybe you're here just investigating, you're asking questions, or maybe you've been following him for many, many years. But there were moments, there were things that happened, and, and you, you said this phrase. You said, God, where are you? In the midst of this loss, of this pain, in the midst of my confusion, my depression, my sorrow, what, what, whatever it might be, God, where are you? Or maybe early in your spiritual journey, you were searching. God, where are you? Why, why are you so elusive? Why is it so hard to sense you? God, I'm looking for you. It's been the plight of human beings throughout the centuries. Think of it. God, where are you? Think of the religious acts that human beings have gone through trying to find God. The philosophies, the temples that have been built. God, where are you? And people say, oh, I've found God and he's deep inside of me and all I need to do is take this long sojourn journey. Or somebody says, oh, no, no, I've found God and here's how you achieve him. You clean up your act and you start doing this and you meditate this many hours a day and you pursue him in this way. He's there. I found God and it's through acts of self-denial. That's how you find God. Everybody has an idea on how you find God. You take a pilgrimage. The medieval theologians, a time when the church was maybe at one of the lowest points imaginable. Medieval theologians had a, a term. It was a theological term that they wrote about. And they called God this, Deus absconditus. Deus absconditus. We get our word abscond, to disappear, to be stolen, to take, be taken, to escape from this, absconditus. So it was a formal title, Deus, the God who vanishes. And they write about it. They say, God, why have you disappeared? Why have you left us? Why is it so hard to find you? And they would speculate on this God who disappears. Does God really disappear? Because it, it, it seems from this passage and it seems through the writings of the Bible that God wants to be known. The whole reason he came to the planet was that we wouldn't think of him as the Deus Abscanditus, the God who disappears and vanishes and escapes us, but the God who is present. He gives us these words like, you'll call him Emmanuel, which means God who is with us, not the God who is far away, the God who has disappeared. Deus Abscanditus. We've probably all experienced that. But here's part of the message of this text. God wants to be known. The reason he came to the planet was to reestablish relationship with human beings. This relationship that had been so severely fractured through human rebellion and sin. He came to solve that, to connect us with the Father once again. But the search for God is not dependent on how earnest I am. 
It's not dependent on my, my moral behavior, how good of a person I am. It's not dependent on the, the, the philosophy that I b- believe. Here's what the search for God is dependent on. Revelation. Revelation. So the angels show up. And what are they saying? Hey, shepherds, God's saying, I'm here. Like, I've come. I'm not hiding. This isn't some cosmic religious game of hide and seek where God's really difficult to find. But if you just figure out the right path, you'll you'll finally locate where he's at. No, revelation is this. It's when someone from outside steps in and says, this is who God is. This is where God is at. I think the challenge, I think why people think that he is the deus absconditus is because we look for him in the wrong places. We look for him at the end of our moral journey. We'll get it all right. If I could just act right, if I could just behave correctly, that's where I'll find God at the end of it. We'll find God when we have read enough Whatever it might be, that's where we think we find God. And can you imagine these shepherds? They've, they're Hebrews. They've been thinking about God. They, they know their nation has been waiting for a Messiah. They've lived under oppression for thousands of years, and now it's the Romans. If you're going to find God, if God's going to show up, they've got to think, it's got to be in Jerusalem. It's got to be out of the royal line. It's got to be one of the priest's sons. It, maybe, who knows, it's got to be a big deal. And this is where they're going to find God, Bethlehem, which at the time was a tiny village estimated to be somewhere between 250 and 350 people. What? That's like, that's like God being born and brought us, right? No, 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 he's not going to be there. And you're not going to find him in a palace but you're going to find him in a feeding trough. See, everybody was looking for God. This was a deeply religious culture, but they were looking in the wrong places. He's not the deus absconditus. He's not the God who disappears, but he's the God who shows up where we don't anticipate. He's there. He's the God who reveals himself. God wants to be known. Here's the second thing from this passage. Very simple, but so true and beautiful. Christmas is good news. It is good news. This whole gospel thing, this this news that is like worth talking about. It's worth sharing. Remember, the shepherds are so inspired by this. They go and they start telling everybody they can. Like, you're not going to believe what we saw. And what are the, the people are amazed. They're just amazed. Christmas is good news. I got three specific reasons why Christmas is good news. The first is this. It's from verse 10. We read that it brings great joy. It brings great joy. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Now, joy isn't a word that we use a lot. We use the word, what, happiness, right? I'm happy. I just am not happy, we'll say that, or I just want to find a way to be more happy. Joy and happiness, they're not interchangeable. They're a little bit different. Happiness typically comes from experiences. Like, I I have everything I want. I have a good job. I have a nice house. I I have money in the bank. That makes me happy. I have people that love me. It makes me happy. I feel fulfilled. It makes me happy. Joy is a little bit different. 
Joy is not based on my circumstances. Joy is based on something entirely different. It's an internal sensation of well-being. So you'll see joy on Christmas cards, and it comes from this text. And this is what the angel says. The angel says Christmas is good news because this is going to cause you great joy. Listen, you might still be a shepherd after this, right? You may still be kind of like, if people look, they're going to look down on you, and your income hasn't changed at all after your experience with the angels, but you're never going to be the same. You're never going to be the same. Because now you know that God has come to earth, and you know that you were chosen to be the first audience. And that is going to change everything. So internally, these shepherds are changed. And it's not just for the shepherds. It's for all the people. Christmas is good news because maybe you're having a tough year. Maybe you're stretched. Maybe you're thin. Maybe, maybe there's just been anxiety or depression, whatever it is. Listen, it's possible to have joy in the midst of calamity. Because joy says, no matter what happens around me, Maybe nothing's ever going to change. I know that God loves me and he's accepted me. And the people I see in life who get through the difficulties and the painful things without giving up, without being overwhelmed, are the people that say, this isn't what I expected and this isn't what I wanted. But somehow I know that God's on my side. Christmas is good news because it brings great joy. But... Christmas is also good news because the author says brings great joy and it brings peace. Peace. This word peace in Hebrew, if the angels were singing in Hebrew, which I imagine they probably were, it was probably what the Hebrews spoke. It brings peace. Peace is shalom in Hebrew. Um, anybody who's gone to Israel, I just went with a group of people this spring, you will hear that word more than any other word. For thousands of years, Hebrews say this, when you greet someone, you meet them for the first time, you say shalom, peace. When you say goodbye, you say shalom. They're offering peace. They've been this, this group of people that have been so oppressed. There's been so much turmoil, so much war. They just use the word peace, peace be to you. And this is beautiful. This is the angels say, this is why Christmas is good news. It brings you joy, but it's going to bring you a sense of peace that the war with God is over, that the separation, that you, you don't have to worry about, have I measured up? Have I done enough? And it's going to, it's good news because it brings this message that there's favor on whom his favor rests. Angels are like, what? God favors us because nobody else does. Everybody else makes fun of us. You're saying God's favor rests on us and on human beings because humans have always wondered, what's God going to do when he comes back, right? Uh, if I told you God is coming back in 20 minutes, how would you feel? Some of us would be like, whoa, yeah, like, let's do this. Some of us would be like, whoa, I only got 20 minutes. There's a few phone calls I need to make, right? There, there's some stuff I need to deal with. I need to get cleaned up. When I, uh, I, I, I grew up in Colorado, I went to, to college out in Oregon. I went to this conservative Christian college, and I didn't know how conservative it was when I signed up. And I uh, lived in the dorms, and they had these things called dorm checks where they came to see if you kept your room clean. And I was, 
I was not gifted in that area. I was working full time and I'd always forget about it. And I'd get home from work and they'd be like eight o'clock dorm check. And I'd be like, ah, right. And what do you do? You just take everything, you shove it under your bed and you shove it in the closet and you vacuum. It was this sense of panic because I knew somebody and they had like what they called, this is awful. It's so Christian ease. They call it special blessings. If you failed your dorm check, special blessings were punishments. I'm like, come on, like that's messed up, right? And so you just hurry to get everything cleaned up. I wonder if most people, we heard God's coming back, it'd be like, I got 20 minutes to clean up everything, to apologize for everything, to get everything in order. But this is the message of the angels. This is you don't have to be afraid of him. You don't have to get everything right in order to have his favor. This is the beauty of God. It's, it's what we call around here radical grace. That God doesn't wait for us to get cleaned up before he's willing to engage us. As we are broken, addicted, confused, angry, whatever it might be, the message of the angel's song is God's favor rests on you. Who? On you. Who? People consider nobody's God, consider somebody's. He says, this is good news because there's joy, there's peace, and there's favor from God. Here's the third element I'd like to talk about. It has to do with the radical humility of Christmas. The radical humility of Christmas. So God wants to be found. Christmas is good news. And then there's this whole thing that I think it's easy for us to miss because of the sentimentality we have tied up with Christmas. But this radical sense of humility of what is happening at this moment. Humility in three different ways. One, let's talk about the humility of God. The humility of God. We've talked about this. When a new king is born, we make a big deal about it. Even if we're not, you know, British or whatever it might be. Oh, wow. God is sending his son. The presence of God is coming back to earth. And God says this. I'm going to do this in a unique way. And people are probably going to misunderstand it. But I need to communicate something to them. And so there's this teenage girl who's engaged but not married. And there's this young man. And God says to this teenage girl, listen, I've been waiting for this moment. And you're going to have a child. And believe it or not, God says, I'm going to be the father because this child needs to link God and human beings. So he will be God and he will be human. And it'll all come together. And Mary's like, oh, yeah, okay. I, I, like, I don't get it. We'll talk about that next week. But the problem is God doesn't tell everybody in her village. God doesn't tell her parents. And so now she's pregnant. And what's her, what's her thought? Uh, Mom, dad, I, listen, it's God. He's the dad. 23 and me, you know, you could identify this with DNA testing. That, that, none of that's an option for her. And so the whole thing is scandalous. It's scandalous. And God has to appear to Joseph to say, Joseph, she's not loony. She didn't cheat on you. Listen, this really is me. And so here they are. We know from the book of Matthew, they're, they're in Bethlehem for a census. And 
this part of the reason the baby's wrapped in cloth rather than a proper blanket is there, it's very likely that they were ostracized from their families. I mean, in this culture, for a woman to have a baby out of wedlock and for the man to say, it's okay, we're going to do this together, they had no money. They had no support. They're, they're probably a teenage couple trying to figure this out by themselves. They don't have a sanitary place to have a baby. The whole humility of God, God says, here's how I'm going to allow my child to be born, my son to be born, in a scandalous situation where everybody is looking and they're wagging their fingers in an unsanitary place. Why? The humility of God is this. God came to the planet below us to lift us. He came not as anyone anticipated, but God is so willing to debase himself, to humble himself, to connect with humanity. He came in this situation, in this manger, this feed trough, the humility of God. There's another aspect to this humility of Christmas. It's the humility of the shepherds. We talked a little bit about how they were viewed culturally. Do you know there's a second century writer who is writing down uh, how court cases are to go. And one of the clear things is this. It says, in the proceedings of a court, shepherds are never allowed to give testimony. They're never allowed to be witnesses because they're considered illiterate and unreliable. The only vocation that wasn't allowed to testify in court. You can never trust a shepherd, basically, is what they're saying. So a shepherd could never sit on a jury. Can you imagine that? If today we had jury selection and like, oh, you're a what? Mm, sorry. Everybody who does that for a living can't be trusted. We'd never believe you. So here are these humble shepherds. And what does God trust them with? To be the first witnesses of what God is doing. Think of the irony of that. No court would allow these shepherds to be witnesses. But God says, you know what? You know who I'm going to choose for my first witnesses? I'm going to choose shepherds. Nobody trusts them, but I trust them. I want to communicate that my favor is on humanity. I want to communicate that it's never too late for people. I want to communicate that this is for all people. This is not just for the elite. This is not just for the royal. This is not for the educated. This is not just for the religious. This is for shepherds. I want you to be the audience that hears this song that no one else is ever going to hear. This song is sung once, and it's going to be sung for shepherds who people despise. And God says, I believe in you. This is for you. If you feel disqualified, if you feel beyond God's love, if you feel beyond redemption, this story tells you God embraces and loves trust people who no one else would ever trust. The humility of the shepherds. Then maybe there's one more thing about the, the humility of Christmas. And maybe it has to do more with us. At Christmas time, I wonder, maybe it's all the time, if to really understand what God is doing on the planet, if I need to humble myself, 
Because when it comes to being religious, sometimes we, we're always trying to better ourselves and make ourselves shinier and prettier. And, oh, God, we're really like me now. Do I need to embrace this idea that God became so humiliated when he took on flesh for our sake? In order to understand, do I need to humble myself in a brand new way? Part of even what we're going to do through, through Increased Christmas is, is Jesus came to earth below human beings to lift them. We're saying this, we identify with the poor. We identify with the broken. We identify with the people that everyone else has written off. We identify with people that are oppressed. And we want to say we come below to help lift because that's the nature of of God. In closing, I want to talk about two games that kids play. They're similar, but they, they have a, a little bit of a difference. First game is hide and seek. How many people, anybody not play hide and seek when you were a kid? Like, you got to play hide and seek, right? It's a beautiful game because you don't need anything except for people. And, and hide and seek, what do you do? There's one person who's it, right? They're the counter. And they start counting. And what do you do? Whether you're in a house or you're outside, everybody goes to hide. And you're trying to find a place where you won't be found. And when I played this with my kids, like their true personalities came out. We play hide and seek a lot. Some kids don't like to be alone. And so they kind of hide in a really obvious place. It was quick to find them. And then there's those kids who like lock themselves in a closet and cover themselves with dirty laundry. And they're like claustrophobic. And they're like, fine, I don't care because I don't want to be found, right? They, they, they're fine with the isolation. So... The game of hide and seek, you go and you look and you look. And when your kids are really little, like they're, they're hiding behind the plant and they're bigger than the plant. And as long as they cover their face, they don't think they can be found if they can't see you, right? Never find me. And you pretend like, oh, where are you? There's another game that kids play and it's the game of sardines. You ever play that? It's kind of the opposite. So what you do in the game of sardines is one person hides. And then everybody else goes to try to find that person. And when you find that person, you hide with that person. So there's a little bit of strategy involved because you find a little tiny place to hide and you're playing with 10 people. That means nine people are going to join you in your hiding place, right? And so this is how I always found my kids in a game of sardines. You listen for the laughing, right? <laughs> Because they're all piled up, right? They're all piled up in the closet and they can't help but laugh because, you know, like, your foot is in my face. And, and some, sometimes I went beyond laughing, like, get off of me, you know, that type of thing. But you're all together. Here's what I don't want to do. I, I don't want to think of Christmas as God hiding and me trying to find him. That's the deus abscondidus. That's the God who evaporates before our eyes. But I wonder if the shepherds, it was a little bit more like the game of sardines. They, they found him. Well, they didn't even do it. The angel said, hey, hey, right here. This is what God's doing. We want you to know. And they go, they experience it. And I love that wherever they went, they told people, it's exactly what we were told. It's not what we thought. It's not what anybody anticipated. This is way different. But we found God. And other people found out what God was doing by following the laughter of the shepherds. By finding these shepherds who had been transformed. Will you pray with me?
Lord, this story is just absolutely so beautiful, so moving. Thank you that you want to be found. I want to pray for anybody in the room who would say, I've been searching for God. I've been looking for him. But, but he never seems to be there. He never seems to answer the prayers the way I want my prayers to be answered. I just want to ask you this. Have you been looking in the right place? Because I think that God shows up perhaps below where you're looking. You're looking on the top shelf. But God isn't making himself hard to find. You don't need a stool or a ladder or a religious system to find him. The message of Christmas is that he came to our level. And most people in the first century missed it. Because they were looking in a much more complex place than when he came. Lord, thank you that Christmas is good news. And for everybody in the room that would say, maybe I'm lacking joy, I'm lacking peace, and it's hard for me to believe that God's favor rests on me, I pray that this angel's song would just resonate. Lord, this whole idea that God became humiliated for our sake. He took on flesh to reach us. He came below us so that he could lift us, so that he could heal us and restore us. Lord, with that story, we embrace that. And finally, for anyone in the room, maybe you'd say, I want to find God, Nate. I've been searching for him, but I feel alone. I feel isolated. I feel far from him. Here's what I want you to hear. He will take you as you are right now. And he is not at the end of some religious journey, some moral journey. He is here. He's in a feeding trough. He's come to join you, to heal you. And what do you do? You simply turn to him and you worship and you say, here I am, God, all that's broken in me. I want to trust that your favor could rest on me as I am. I want to trust that you would call me a daughter or a son as I am. If that's you, and today would be a day for you to surrender to him. Would you just raise your hand and wave at me? Say, Nate, that's me. I'm surrendering my life to Jesus today. Catch my eye. Yeah, absolutely. Beautiful. Anybody else, wave at me if that's you. Today's the day. If you're in the balcony, wave at me. All right. I love it. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you so much. We're so proud of you. Everybody raise their hands. Your sons and your daughters. Amen. Amen. Hey, would you give a hand for people that just raised their hands? That's beautiful. Beautiful.